So this morning we're looking at Isaiah 7 and uh, Matthew 1 as the basis of our second of our Advent sermons um, on three different Christmas titles. The first, which Willie did last week, uh, was that of Saviour. Today we're going to be looking at Emmanuel, and specifically the sign of Emmanuel uh, that is quoted in Matthew 1 and comes from Isaiah 7. However, although it is a different title and you could imagine a completely separate and different sermon, in actual fact, this builds on what Willie was talking about last week. Uh, Because although we're going to be looking at Emmanuel, what it means, Emmanuel, what it means to have God with us is entirely bound up in the one who comes to save. So let us then turn to Isaiah 7 uh, in order to understand the significance of the baby in Bethlehem, the import of his being, Emmanuel. And so we need to start with the sign of Emmanuel given to Ahaz here and the people of Jerusalem. The opening verse in Isaiah 7 uh, takes us to a world that's dominated by strong, uh, powerful, and somewhat ruthless men. Uh, These nations that they lead are are dominant, they are powerful. Uh, And so three kings are named here in verse 1. Uh, We have Rezin, the king of Aram, which is also known as Syria, which of course has its capital in Damascus. We have uh, Pekah, the king of Israel, uh, which is also in our passage referred to as Ephraim. Now, just as a reminder, um, previous to Isaiah, about 200 years prior to Isaiah, the 10 tribes um, of the northern kingdom break away. So Israel that was the 12 tribes, it broke. Two tribes are left behind, uh, Judah and Benjamin, the, the small group in the south. And in the north, the, the larger group uh, retained the name Israel and is sometimes known as Ephraim because Ephraim was the largest tribe of those 10. So they've gone uh, on their own. They're, they're off to the north. And of course, uh, Syria um, is, is next door to them. So you have these two larger nations to the north and Judah to the south. Now in the background, there's also uh, something else to keep in mind. There is a vast, powerful, ruthless empire growing to the north of all three. And this is, of course, the Assyrian Empire. It is going to wreak destruction throughout the region. It is incredibly powerful. And so the kings of Syria and Israel, Rezin and Pekah, they want to form an alliance. They want Judah to take part in this alliance so that they could be stronger standing up against the Assyrians. Ahaz looks at this as an idea and he says, no, (laughs) not for me. I'm not going to stand with Israel and Syria against the Assyrians. And so what he does is he starts to open negotiations with the Egyptians. There's something slightly ironic in the Bible whenever the people of God look to Egypt for salvation. It goes against all of the key themes from Exodus. But nonetheless, he starts looking to Egypt. It's not going to work out well relying on Egypt, but this is what he does. And so in response, the two kings of the north, Pekah and Rezin, decide to replace Ahaz with their own puppet king, with Tabil. And that way they'd get their alliance of three nations. That's what's going on in these opening verses. And that means that Ahaz, the king of Judah, the king in Jerusalem, is going through a test. There are questions he does not know how to answer. How is he going to deal with these two nations? I mean, either of them were far larger and far more powerful than Judah was on its own. How is he going to deal with this larger threat of the Assyrians? You know, can the Egyptians be relied upon? What is he going to do? 
And the biggest problem that he has is he simply sees it as a political problem, as a military dilemma. It needs a political or military solution. And so he opens negotiations with the, Assyri- with, um, the Egyptians, and he tries to open backdoor negotiations with the Assyrians as well. He sees a political problem. He's trying to find a political solution, and his test is whether he's going to open up his eyes and see what's really going on, what the problem really is. Now, behind all of these international maneuvers, all these power games and schemes and plots, God is at work. God is calling to the people in Judah. He's calling on them to do the very thing that they've not been doing for a while now, and that is to trust him. He wants the people of Judah to see that the real threat in their lives doesn't come from Rezin or Pekah or even the Assyrians. The biggest threat that is facing them actually comes from within. The biggest danger they face is that they now, by default, leave God out of the equation. The biggest threat that they face is trusting themselves. They intend to have the very opposite of Emmanuel, the opposite of God with us. And so their true weakness, it's not that they're dwarfed by the armies around them, their true weakness is their utter refusal to trust in God. Now, this is a top-down thing. It started with Ahaz and worked its way down. It's filtered down through the people. It's been there for years. But now it comes to the surface because of this threat. Uh, Under the pressure of these kings, those weaknesses come to the fore. And the threat is real. The threat is very present, as we saw in verses 1 and 2. And so God sends Isaiah to speak to Ahaz in verse 3. And Yahweh said to Isaiah, Go out and meet Ahaz, you and Shir Yashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. So God's message is clear. God's message is precise. He even gives the directions that Isaiah needs in order to meet with the king. He gives the prophet a message that we see from verse 4. He is to go and tell the king to be careful. He is to tell that king to stay calm. He is not to be afraid. He is not to lose heart because of these two kings to the north. Now, some of you may be wondering where the Christmas bit is uh, (laughs) in all of this. Um, And it comes in the the sign of Emmanuel from, from verse 10. However, in order to understand the sign of Emmanuel, in order to understand what is going on there, we need to learn the lessons of verses 1 to 9, the context of the sign of Emmanuel that was given, that is quoted by Matthew later on. And so I think there are three crucial things to take from these nine verses before we can really grasp what's going on with Emmanuel. The first thing we need to see in the text leading up to verse 10 is that God knows God knows exactly what is happening. He knows the minutiae. He he knows the details so that he can get Isaiah to meet Ahaz on the road. He knows exactly where Ahaz is going to be and when he's going to be there. God knows the details. He also knows the bigger picture. He knows who is coming against Ahaz. He knows their intentions. He knows what they are like. He knows what Ahaz is afraid of. God 
knows. The second thing to note in this text is that God reigns over the danger. That's why he can tell this king Ahaz not to fear the alliance against him in verse 4. In fact, look at how they're described. Do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firewood. (laughs) They are nothing, he says. They are smoldering to ash. They may look scary to Ahaz, but they do not scare God. He reigns over the danger. That's how it is that we get to verse 7. When thus says the Lord Yahweh, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. In the face of these two threatening kings, God offers a reality check. He says, I am sovereign. When Pekah and and Rezin think that they can just remove the king of their smaller neighbor, when they think that he is just a political plaything, God says, no, I am the real king. I am the sovereign one. And this will not happen. And so alongside God knows, we have God reigns. And thirdly, in these nine verses, we see a God who is going to change things. This is the meaning of verse 7 that I just read. God doesn't provide a message of, well, you know, hopefully things will turn out okay. (laughs) That's not the message from God. He doesn't say, hopefully this won't happen, or maybe if you try hard enough, or if you get the right political machinations in place, that you will be saved. He says, it shall not happen. The thing that you are so worried about will not take place. And indeed, just as Isaiah prophesied, Within 65 years, Ephraim, that is Israel, is destroyed. So these three things, God knows what's going on, God reigns over what is going on, and God is going to change what is going on, is crucial to the sign that then follows in verse 10 and following. For as we see, Ahaz needed to be reminded of these three things. And that reminder comes in the form of a rebuke to this king. Look at verse 10. Uh, We'll go for 10 to 12. Again, Yahweh spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of Yahweh your God. Let it be deep as shoal, as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put Yahweh to the test. Now, this is actually a a ridiculous response from the king. Uh, Ask her a sign, God says. And Ahaz says, no. Now, it may at first seem quite uh, pious. You know, he's not going to put Yahweh to the test. Sounds good, but that's not why Ahaz gives this answer. You see, in his heart, he has decided that he does not want a sign because he is going to reject God. He doesn't want to trust in God. He's going to trust in the Egyptians or his own political plans. He's going to rely on his own cunning, his own strength. He's not interested in a sign from God because he's not interested in what God's going to do. He's not interested in a God who'd give a sign. He does not want God to make it absolutely clear that God knows what is going on, that God reigns over it, and that he is going to change it. Ahaz does not want this because he does not want God. He does not want Emmanuel. He does not want a relationship with God. He he, he, he says he does not want a sign. 
It's because he does not want God, and he's not interested in what God can do, or God's opinion, or anything else to do with him. He doesn't care what God says about the problem, because Ahaz says, I know what the problem is, and I will solve the problem. And so we get this rebuke. A rebuke for the way that the king has tried to remove God from the equation. He gets a sign nonetheless. And this is where we um, arrive at the material, which rather takes off from this point all the way through to the New Testament and arrives at Christmas. You see, in response to Ahaz, God provides a sign. Isaiah declares in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. I should point out that the you here is in the plural uh, in the Hebrew, uh, and that's because the prophet is fully aware that he's not just talking to Ahaz. Ahaz is not listening, Ahaz is not interested, and so you is now encompassing the people of Jerusalem. The sign will be for everyone. And what is the sign? Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Uh, No longer God distant, no longer God rejected, no longer God kept at arm's length, but Emmanuel. No longer left to deal with things in your own strength. Instead, you have Emmanuel. And Isaiah adds further detail. He shall eat curds and honey until he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now, that may seem uh, a little strange, uh, this description, But of course, in in the Hebrew culture, um, this was uh, the age of which you would know right and wrong. It refers um, to to someone about five years old. Um, This is important, as as we see in verse 16. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. And so putting that together, what that means is, within five years, the land of the two kings that you dread will be laid to waste. The powerful alliance of Syria and Israel will be no more. The lands, as I said, laid to waste. They will no longer pose a threat because of what God is going to do. Which is that a child is going to be born. His parents will call him Emmanuel. And this child will prove to you that God knows the problem, that God is sovereign over the problem, and God is one who is going to solve the problem. See, with the birth of Emmanuel, you are to see that God is with you even when you do not believe in him. Even when most of the people are not even looking for him. Now this theme develops beyond the single verse to Ahaz. A few chapters on, we come to Isaiah 9, one of those key Christmas passages. Uh, Verse 2 sets the scene. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. The people who live in the shadow of death, under the looming threat of these two kings, they will see a great light. Let me pick it up from verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do this. All of which means that Isaiah chapter 7, the baby called Emmanuel, the child born in chapter 9, the same sign but with a different angle, it all points ultimately to Jesus. 
And of course, that then speaks to us here and now. It gives us this message of Christmas. You see, we, we, when we read this about Ahaz, we read it about Isaiah, we can't just simply read about a distant people at a distant time and problems far removed. We, too, are part of this. And so we, too, get the same message delivered to us. You see, we, too, have a problem. It might not be two kings to the north, but equally, just like Ahaz misunderstood his problem, often we do, too. See, our problem is not political or economic or something that man can solve. It might seem strange to hear, uh, but ultimately, uh, COVID is not our problem. Our main problem cannot be solved by politicians or scientists. Our problem, our greatest weakness, is that we too are prone to shutting God out, to seeing him, uh, sorry, seeing things without him, to seeing an equation missing its most important part. Just like Ahaz. Like the majority of people in Jerusalem at that time, we can look at our lives, and particularly during times of crisis, and we think that God has nothing to do with this. I can sort it out. And each of us are prone to doing the same thing, and we imagine ourselves entirely self-sufficient. Now, back in Isaiah 7, God had this amazing, piercing word given to Ahaz. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all, he says. If you cease to stand in your own strength, if you stop attempting to find the solution to a problem that you cannot solve, If you put an end to trusting in yourself and instead stand firm in your faith in me, then it's going to be okay. But if you stand in your own strength, if you don't stand in faith now, then in the future you will fall. Now all of that gets drawn up and it lands in Bethlehem. All of that that we're talking about in Isaiah 7 into 9, all of that gets taken into Matthew. And our problem again is that we may, just like Ahaz, think that we can save ourselves if we think salvation is needed at all. And our problem very often is that we do not think that we need God. And that is the problem that humanity has. That, That is the problem that we see throughout Aberdeen that people do not think they need God. He says to them and to us, just as he said to those people in Jerusalem, you may not think you need me, but you do. So I will change the problem. I will solve the problem. I will send the Savior. And just as uh, most people were not looking for God in Isaiah, most people were not looking for Jesus when he arrived in Bethlehem. Very few were looking out for that child. That child who was the the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Hardly anybody was looking for him. The one who made it possible to say the word Emmanuel with a smile on our face. God with us. And so the, the story of Christmas, the story of Emmanuel, is that we have a problem with sin that requires to be dealt with from within. And so when all of this lands in Bethlehem in the birth of our Lord Jesus, we find an angel going to Joseph and picking up from the Isaiah 7 passage and basically saying, now, (laughs) now it is going to happen. 
That's where we get the reading from Matthew 1. If I just read again from verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from... Now, do we see it? This that we've been waiting for? He will save the people from their real problem. He will save the people from their real weakness. He will save the people from the real danger. He will save the the people from the very thing they cannot save themselves from. He will save the people from their sins. That's what it says in verse 21. He will save his people from their sins. He comes to deal with the problem. Now, none of us can say that we've never sinned. None of us can pretend to be perfect. And none of us can really deal with the problem. Not really. This problem is so much a part of us. In fact, instead of finding a solution, we are the problem from within. None of us can turn back time and undo the things we regret or take back words we shouldn't have uttered and undo any of the hurts that we have caused. We cannot solve this problem. And so God says, I will save the people from their sins. And that's why the baby is called Jesus. Yahweh saves. And of course, Matthew goes on to say, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that is Isaiah 7, 13 to 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So why was Jesus born? Why do we have Christmas? Why is Christmas crucial? Why amidst all the things that are lovely about Christmas, must it be brought back to this? And it's because, you know, Christmas is a message that brings good news. You know, it is better news than any politician or scientist or general could ever deliver. There is better news than we could give to each other, better news than we could just tell ourselves. The news is that the Savior was born. So Christmas, as you will be aware, is is not really about a, a cute little baby or a lovely story to cheer ourselves up in the middle of winter. It's about the fact that we have a problem. A problem deep within ourselves. A problem that we cannot solve for ourselves. A problem that requires us, instead of of rejecting God habitually, instead of pushing him away, instead of relying on our own strength, instead to find that he really is Emmanuel with us. Our problem is sin. And God, who knows our problem, who is sovereign over our problem, provides the solution to our problem. Emmanuel, Jesus the Savior. He saves us and and it changes everything. It means that he indeed is with us. The baby born in Bethlehem presents an appeal from God to believe in this son to cease relying on ourselves, to stop saying, I do not need God, and instead to trust in him wholly, uh, completely, uh, totally, to trust him as the Savior who comes to be with us, to deal with our sin. And then the question that comes from Christmas, 
is do we trust in him for forgiveness? Will we trust in him for the future? Will we trust Jesus, Emmanuel, for eternity? And that's the sign of Emmanuel. And that is why we celebrate Christmas. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that what you said now 3,000 years ago speaks to us. Speaks to us now because Jesus was born and he lived and died and rose again. And you speak to us now. You who are here. Lord, help us, we ask, to listen. Help us to believe once again in Jesus. To, to return once again to seeing you as the answer. We thank you that you indeed see our deepest, inmost problems and that you have provided a saviour to help us to believe in him. Help us, Lord. We ask this in his wonderful name. Amen.